You are listening to Making It in the Toy Industry, episode number 47. Welcome to Making It in the Toy Industry, a podcast for inventors and entrepreneurs like you. And now your host, Ajel Wade. Well, hey there, toy people. Ajel Wade here, and welcome back to another episode of Making It in the Toy Industry. This is a weekly podcast brought to you by thetoycoach.com. If you are an aspiring inventor or toy entrepreneur, then listen up because Toy Creators Academy is opening for enrollment in February of 2021. And some of you may not know this, but Toy Creators Academy grads have an opportunity to pitch their toy inventions to some major toy companies once they graduate. So many of my students have told me that they gained so much clarity from the program as far as what next steps they should take to sell their ideas on their own or to license them to toy companies on their own without the help of an agent. Now, originally, this episode wasn't scheduled to be released until next year, but after some reactions and engagement based on some recent social media posts of mine on Instagram and Facebook, I got the feeling that you guys really needed to hear this episode today. So I rushed the editing and got it out to you right away. Today, we are going to be talking with a legal licensing and business consultant who specializes in protecting toy IPs. We're going to cover everything as far as trademarks, copyrights, patents, and then we're of course going to cover contracts, like what's really important to know when you're working in the toy industry or starting your own toy business. So listen up to the entire episode. I don't want you to miss a thing. Today, my guest is Stephanie Podick. Stephanie is a legal licensing and business consultant who is passionate about helping people like you, entrepreneurs and inventors, protect their brands and businesses. Steph focuses on trademarks, copyrights, contracts, and licensing. And before becoming an attorney, Stephanie was actually an executive at Sky Kids Incorporated, which is a toy company that was based in New Jersey. And that's where she was involved with various aspects of the toy business, including licensing, sales, marketing, product creation, manufacturing, and so much more, which means she knows exactly where you're at. Stephanie's slogan is legal advice before you need a lawyer. And her goal is to help people by protecting them legally so they can minimize their risk while working towards success. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ajelle. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I listen to your podcast and I love it. I already know. I know you're also women in toys, webinar giver like myself. And people said great things about your webinar. Even my students said great things about your webinar. And what what I love, uh, what I love about you when I first started talking to you to work with you was that you worked in the toy industry. So (laughs) that means that you understood my worries and my concerns from like a product and a business side. So what what did you do exactly at Sky Kids? Yeah, a little bit of everything. So, you know, we came up with the product. We had an R&D team, which, you know, a few of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, now at different companies, mutual friends, yes. <laughs> mutual friends. And so, yeah, we, I mean, everything from start to finish in the life of a product. So if our logistics guy went on vacation, I handled the logistics. Uh, I worked a lot with sales. And marketing as well. So I would go to Toys R Us and, you know, just help really from from start to finish. 
And you probably would have seen some of our toys. We did Wizard of Oz plate, Wizard of Oz dolls, Pizza Hut and Burger King play foods, some oh, Sesame yeah. Street products, and a lot of arts and crafts and private label and branded goods for Toys R Us and Target and other retailers. Oh, that's awesome. Well, why why did you decide to leave? the product side and become a lawyer. (laughs) What (laughs) happened? (laughs) I always wanted to be an attorney and I used to get frustrated working with our attorneys because Uh. they never really understood the business. And, you know, I'd have to explain everything to them. And I thought, well, if I ever go back to law school, I'm going to be a better lawyer just because I I get it. You know, I've walked in, in the business owner's shoes. So when I had the opportunity to do that, I did. I went back to law school in New York, and I focused on intellectual property protection. And once I graduated, I just started working with clients like Sky Kids and helping protect businesses and brands. I know people are so excited. They heard intellectual property and they're like, this is what I need right (laughs) now. People always want to know more about this. You can never give too much information. It's true. It's true. Yeah. So actually, I kind of want to bring up something. So you have a slogan, legal advice before you need a lawyer, which is a registered trademark. I want to know, why did you choose to register that trademark? Oh, very good question. Yeah. So, so you know, just, just as I would say with most other people, when you have when you have something that's unique to you and it's protectable, why not protect it? I mean, my whole philosophy is, is getting legal advice before a problem happens. Just knowing what your options are, figuring out, being educated, knowing what to do, that saves so much time and energy and money and minimizes lawsuits in the future. So, you know, I kind of thought, well, yeah, that really describes me. So I said, well, I'm going to walk the walk and talk the talk and file my own trademark. I love it. And and why did you come up with that slogan? I, you know, I think probably because when I was in business, I saw a lot of times when, and you know, when we as uh, product creators, you know, whether it's an entrepreneur or an inventor or an established company, you have the same risks. If you're smaller, your risk is actually bigger because, you know, if someone sends a cease and desist or files a lawsuit, then really you could go bankrupt. It, it, it could be, you know, really, you know, just just break everything. But even, you know, if for a company, it's probably less so. But I, I saw that when we did protect ourselves, we would, it would definitely make a big difference in the long run. And, I, you know, just, I've seen what happens when you don't, and it's pretty ugly. So whatever you can do up front, I kind of feel is a good way to go. Now that you brought up actually cease and desist, what does that mean? <laughs> what, what is that? Is that okay. really what you should do if somebody infringes, infringes on your registered trademark? Sometimes first you have to figure out if you have something protectable and whether you've protected it. And then you have to also with trademark, it's very, there are a lot of nuances in trademark law. So even if, you know, and, and you had posted about this the other day, I did. You know, if someone has a registered trademark or someone's using it longer, you know, it's kind of like a state versus federal law fight. You don't even want to go there. You, you want to actually speak to someone who understands what, you know, to look out for, figure out what's going on, and then you can decide whether or not to do a cease and desist. I will give one really good recommendation today. Well, I hope more than one, but this is is one to pay attention to. (laughs) With a cease and desist letter, if you actually threaten a lawsuit and, you know, given the, the circumstances, the other side could take that cease and desist letter as a ticket into court 
and then file against you, they can do a preemptive, a preemptive lawsuit against what? Yes. Yes. So, you know, sometimes clients really, they're like, you know, we want a really strong letter. And I'm like, well, you know, let's talk about this for a little bit. Sometimes, sometimes you do it depends on the client, but I, I guess that's the point. You really want to understand what the um, consequences are mm-hmm. uh, before doing something like that. Oh, that's a good takeaway. So if you saw somebody using your trademark that you did register and it is yeah. on the principal register, what should you do? I would investigate how the other person is using it or company. I would want to know if they're using it longer. That's a big uh, question. But yeah, generally, if you have trademarks and intellectual property, especially trademarks, you have to enforce, you have to police in the marketplace. So you should nine times out of 10, take action. Interesting. But maybe not tell them you're going to sue them. There are ways around it. You can always be like, hey, you may not realize this, but you know, you've been using my registered trademark. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes people really don't know. Uh, Mm -hmm. Sometimes they do. So that's why everything is kind of fact intensive. And I should just say right here, when I was in law school, I think the most depressing day of law school for me was when, you know, I realized, oh, there really is no right or wrong answer or yes Mm -hmm. or no. It Mm -hmm. always depends on the circumstances and the facts. So it's just one of those things where it's, it's it, it's all about you. It's all about your situation. So you definitely want to figure out what's going on before, you know, making a plan of action. So I, now that we're talking about trademarks, I'm thinking, what about copyrights? How is a copyright different from a trademark? Let's start there. Okay. So, I mean, there are three basic, especially for, you know, for inventors and entrepreneurs and business owners, there are three main types of intellectual property. The first is the trademark that protects your brands. You know, think of... Um, the names like Nike or um, Coca-Cola or slogans like just do it or mind mm-hmm. legal advice before you need a lawyer, right. you know, but there are also some non-traditional, if you've ever, the, the NBC chimes, those are trademarked. And did you know, mm. I have to do before we go to copyright, yeah. uh, that Hasbro protected the smell of Play-Doh. So anything that kind of reminds you, oh yeah, that's the brand. I know what that is. And that could but- be a trademark. You can trademark a smell? Yes. And colors, It all, it's much harder than a name or a slogan, for sure. Wow. But you can. You can. With, with patents, that usually just protects inventions. So there are two main types, a utility patent and a design patent. Mm-hmm. And copyrights, think of that as more of the creative protection. So mm. for a logo, an illustration, content, a song, a movie, that's, oh. you know, that's a logo can be trademarked and yeah. or copyrighted. Yeah. So again, it just depends on the situation. If you hire a third party to create your logo or do your website mm. or, you know, something else for you, you have to be aware that even if you pay for it, you may not, or probably not the owner, unless there's something else in writing. Yes. That's so good. Yeah. That's really scary, but also very important. <laughs> yeah. That's true. One of the things I want to bring up, because I know that with trademarks, everyone says, don't put your logo as the trademark first. You want to trademark your the like the words, the plain text, right? Because somebody could change it, was it 20% or something, and then argue that it's different and it wouldn't confuse somebody for your brand. You know, you can't just change it. it it's made up. You can't change something 20% or change five things or, you know, the inquiry into whether something is confusingly similar or substantially similar in copyright, mm-hmm. that's really fact, uh, fact intensive. When we used to do our instruction sheets, 
we would draw out and type before, you know, like computers were, were on every desk. Right. So we'd type out the instructions and then hand draw the, the illustrations. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, right then and there, the, the protection is, is created. You have a copyright. That's different than filing an actual application and getting the registration. So why do you file the application if you already have, if you already have protection? The the main reason is because you need the copyright registration in order to enforce it. There was a Mm. recent Supreme court decision that states that if you want to sue someone for copyright infringement, you need to have a registration, a valid registration. And that makes sense because you have to have something in hand in order to sue somebody else. Oh, but then suing is so expensive. We don't even want to go there. Can't we just do arbitration? <laughs> <laughs> you, I mean, you can. And but that, that's where, you know, contracts will come in. So, yeah. you, you know, when you're working with someone else, you can do that. But with copyrights, since a lot of people in your community are creators, if you file a copyright application, let's say for a photo, I don't know if everyone's heard of like getting images. If you've uh-huh. ever used a photo on people, they'll send the cease and desist letter. Well, they basically take an image, take a photo, file the copyright, get the registration. And then they, you know, they look on the internet, who's using it? Because with copyright infringement, damages don't matter. If you file a copyright registration, again, under certain circumstances, you can get up to $150,000 without showing any damage. Wow. Exactly. And and attorney's fees. And the, the government filing fee is $65. So yeah. it's a big bang for your buck. And it's a big bang for your buck. <laughs> it is. They've been changing how you can apply for, mm-hmm. um, for different things, unpublished works. It doesn't have to be one particular thing. So yeah, so yeah it, it's really, you know, it, it can be very cost effective. And, uh, you know, have you heard of the Hangover 2 story? No. Okay. So who do you think owns Mike Tyson's tattoo? I don't know. Well, now I don't think it's Mike Tyson. The tattoo artist, the copyright and the tattoo on Mike Tyson's face. So what? Yes. So I'm sure, I'm sure Mike Tyson could do whatever he wants with that because yeah, I'm sure that the tattoo artist would not want to upset go up against my case. Mike. Exactly. But but the Hangover 2, do you remember? I don't know if you've seen the Hangover 2. I think oh, I have. So Ed Helms, that's the one that Ed Helms was the bachelor and he yeah. came out with Mike yeah. Tyson's tattoo. He came out of the bathtub. Yeah. So the tattoo artist must have been watching TV and said, hey, wait a minute. Saw the commercial for Hangover 2 and said, they're using my tattoo without my permission. They're using my copyright. He what? called his lawyer what? and they filed a lawsuit. <gasps> yes. yes. They filed a lawsuit against the movie studio. And the judge says they filed for copyright infringement and also to stop the movie from coming out. <gasps> yes, because injunction, you know, I don't want to get so particular, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. injunction is a remedy for intellectual property infringement, which is right. a huge tool. Anyway, so the judge says, okay, I'm not going to stop the movie from coming out, but tattoo artist, you have a decent copyright case. I'm going to let the case move forward. So what happened was they settled and the fact that the DVD and the, you know, the re-release had the same edit and Helms had that same tattoo. I think that the tattoo artist for $65 or at that point, I think it was $35 for the filing fee. 
that was the best thing for his book because Holy crap. I can imagine he's sitting somewhere in his beach house sipping a pina colada. <gasps> Holy crap. That's incredible. But he yep. had to shell out money to go through this lawsuit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But it was yeah. worth his while. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> how do you know? But like, how do you, how can you set yourself up for success? Cause like, how do you know if you'll win? Like, I'm just guessing that there's anything that could happen that could just make you lose, even if it is your work, you know, it's true, you know, and that's, you know, and that, that really is the issue. That's why I think it's important for, for people starting out or anyone who has anything of a creative nature to protect what they can, because Mm -hmm. you want to give yourself options. If you don't, your options may be gone. You know, it's, it's a matter of sometimes it is a David versus Goliath, but there Mm -hmm. have been, when I went to law school, we had, we did, we reviewed a lot of Mattel cases where there was, Mattel was doing a little guy and the little guy was represented by, you know, the ACLU or some organization that said, Hey, we know that you small artists can't protect yourself. We're going to help you. So you never, you know, you never know. Never know. Okay. So if, so what if one of my listeners is listening and they're like, oh, I've had a book and the book has been selling for, let's say the last three years. Yes. And I'm listening to this episode. I'm freaking out. I'm on the copyright website right now. I'm trying to copyright my book. Right. (laughs) So they, (laughs) so they copyright their book and then they see somebody had just ripped it off blatantly and maybe they've been selling it for the past year. Do they have the right to defend their work if they didn't technically have their copyright when that person ripped it off? A very good, another very good question. So with copyright, you can't enforce until you have the registration. However, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter. It's once that registration is, you know, is, is in your, the person's hands, then they can, they can take action. Ooh. And here's something else too, you know, even sending a letter to that third party that's been using it, mm-hmm. they may not know that third party may not know yeah. that you need a valid copyright registration. So yeah. a lot of don't really understand intellectual property, which yeah. makes it, you know, which makes it sometimes harder and sometimes yeah. easier to enforce. So interesting. Okay. Can you dispel one myth right now? Because I hear this way too often. Okay. Everyone's like, oh, you just created something written, just like put it in an envelope and mail it to yourself, registered mail and never open it. And that's your copyright. I, I have heard that it's, they think they called it the poor man's copyright. Yes, yes, it's, yes. It's basically this. So it's not, it's not creating any rights that you didn't already have. Uh, what it's doing, what it's doing is if you've created something and you're showing it to a third party and you've sent it to yourself and that third party does something, you can, you know, if you can show that you have sent it to yourself beforehand and it wasn't open, if you ever have to go to court, you can be like, Hey, I, I did it before I showed it to them before they actually came out with their product or their book or whatever it was. Mm, so interesting. So it's just like know. an extra thing that might help. Yes. So now, I mean, let's just touch patents a little bit because we've been all up in trademarks and copyrights. What's the difference with a patent? I mean, you already mentioned it a little bit, but would you like to go in more depth? Sure, a little bit. Effectively, if someone comes up with something that is non-obvious and new and novel, then it could be, you know, a unique design. Mm-hmm. And again, when you get the the patent, then you can enforce your patent. It basically mm-hmm. prevents other people from using it, but you have mm-hmm. to enforce it. And mm-hmm. utility, if you've come up with a new way of doing something, yeah. then, then yes, sometimes that's really important. And, you know, I think coming back to the original point of, well, what is someone to do if they're starting and they, they don't even know where to begin? I think it's important to figure out, well, what do you have? What kind of protections can you get? 
And then if, if you're limited in, in how, you know, in funds and what you should protect, what's going to give you the best protection for the least amount of money where mm-hmm. you can, you know, that if someone's really come up with something amazingly new, I mean, I would probably look at the patent first. Yeah, no, I agree. A hundred percent. This is going to be our last major topic, okay. but it's contracts. Uh-oh. And I want it to be like part of my mission to just make sure that all these new toy people coming into the toy yep. world are really paying attention to the things that they're signing. Yes. There are so many different yes. stipulations out there and documents yes. and no one is the same. If no, if anyone tells you it's like yep. a standard, there is no standard. There is no standard. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. And, and if you don't understand a word, don't just say like, oh, I'll just, you know, figure it out in the rest of the paragraph. No, like you no. need to, you, if you don't understand a word, you might need to consult a lawyer and it yes. seriously can impact the rest of your career, even if you're just starting out. So yeah. I would just love to talk about like, what are some of the different kinds of tr- contracts that businesses and brand owners should think about? having in their arsenal or even just being aware of, maybe they're just having a toy career. Like what yep. should they be aware of? Yeah. Well, okay. If, if someone is having a toy career, then one of the things they'll probably have to sign is an employment agreement. And right there, that's going to determine what that employee can and can't do outside the scope of, you know, of the job. And I think a lot of that is probably due to the, the Mattel and Bratz case that happened mm-hmm. a few years ago. So that's something to pay attention to if you're actually working somewhere already. If you're just doing your own thing, you know, you don't have to worry about that clearly as much. But in terms of contracts, you hit upon a really important point to gel. And that is don't sign something unless you know what it says. You know, I I think a lot of times, even, even if inventors and entrepreneurs have protected their own intellectual property without a lawyer, you know, which is fine if someone feels comfortable to do it and, and knows what they're doing, you know, it, that's okay. But that contract, it's worth hiring someone to do, to look at the contract and explain what it means. Mm-hmm. So there are a few different types that I work with a lot. NDAs, the non-disclosure agreements, you know, again, they're, they should be similar, but one mm-hmm. size does not fit all. Mm-hmm. NDAs are usually, if you have an idea and you want to show it to a third party, well, that you want some sort of agreement that that stops them from taking your idea and moving forward and you know taking it themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's the basic gist of that. If you're lucky enough to get someone to license your product or brand, then the licensing agreement is really important. It has very specialized terms, and you really want to understand because one word can make the difference between losing ownership of your intellectual property. And I did have someone come to me years ago and I felt really Wait, bad. What's that word? We need. <laughs> oh, what, what, what? Oh, what is that word? one word? We need to know that one word. That's I, what wish, we need. I wish I could tell you. I wish I could tell you. Oh. It's, it, it, could be, it could be the lack of a no or a, you oh know, or a, or a don't or a, Oh my God. Unfortunately, you know, it's funny because so, so the, the example I was going to give was someone had given me a license, a licensing agreement. It was called a licensing agreement. And she just had a question. She had signed it like a couple of years prior and she had a question about royalties. So I reviewed it and then I came back and I said, you do realize you don't own your intellectual property anymore. And she said, what do you mean? She was really upset, which understandably. So I said, 
you don't. You gave it away in the contract. She goes, but look, it's called a licensing contract. Oh, my God. I know. I'm like, well, it doesn't matter what it's called. It matters what it says. So inside, it was actually an option agreement. So where if the company did whatever, you know, took a step, paid a fee, whatever, gave that, gave notice, then they became the owners of the intellectual property. Oh my God. So, you know, so it's one of those things where, Hey, you may still enter into the contract, but don't be surprised. Know what, you know, know what's in there before, you know, before you sign it. Super important. Wow. That's crazy. You need to hire someone. Fees aren't expensive with everybody. You know, you really want to find someone, an attorney that understands you, wants to help, can work within your budget, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But you you definitely, you definitely want to, you know, know what you're signing before you do. Yeah. And, I, yeah. I mean, no, I agree. I know I've been there and it's been, there've been moments where you're like, oh, I just want this job or I just want this opportunity. And you just want to rush read, or you just want to sign, even if you're seeing something that you're like, oh, I'm not sure if this feels right, but it nine times out of 10 will come back. And when it comes back, it, you know, it might not be a good thing and it could hinder your career for months, years, or it could change the trajectory of it for your whole life. And so, I mean, like, it's really important to read. And then like you were saying, if you're on your own, the contracts you need to have, like you were saying, need to assign rights to the right people. Otherwise all the work you're doing could just be owned by the person who did the work in the first place. So, (laughs) so yeah, like this is not an area to skip over or rush through. Correct. Correct. And one more to think about when you're thinking about agreements is exactly what you just mentioned, Michelle, which is, you know, intellectual property ownership. So make sure that you have that document in place if you're hiring a third party. So you do make sure that you own anything that, you know, you're paying for. So the three things were NDAs, licensing agreements, and intellectual property ownership agreements. But to be clear, they are not always listed separately. (laughs) So no, that's like, true. Yeah. They that's can true. be one contract with all those things inside and it could yep. be called a work agreement or it could be two of those things inside. So those yep. are, you know, just keep that in mind. <laughs> yes. Thank you. That is, it's a really great point. I mean, I think, yeah. I think the most important takeaways from anyone listening today and thank you for taking the time, everyone, for listening. Well, speaking of which, I'm sure people are now wondering, like, oh, my God, can I afford Stephanie? Like, how can we work together? <laughs> so who do you work with? Big clients, small clients? What- I work really with a lot of entrepreneurs and inventors. I also work with more established um, businesses. So it really just depends what the situation is. Yes. Okay. So how can people get in touch with you? Well, connect with me on LinkedIn. I post a lot of articles uh, and I just launched my new website this week, productlaw.com. It was revamped. Uh, So now it's, you know, it's brand new and um, we're just, thank you so much. (laughs) Or just shoot me an email, Stephanie at productlaw.com. And tell me you listened to today's podcast and I'll take extra special care of you. Oh, extra special care. She does. She will. She definitely, she's amazing. And I will put all of the links in the show notes. So you won't have any problem finding Stephanie and getting in contact with her. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Stephanie. This was really valuable, really valuable conversation. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. You do an awesome job, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
There you have it, toy people. I know, I know that episode was a whole lot of tough love and straightforward, get your legal business together conversation. I know it probably wasn't a whole lot of fun, but it was an absolute necessity. If you are a recent grad, I hope you listen to this episode very closely. I want you all being careful that you understand what you are signing before you sign it. And for all my toy entrepreneurs, I want you building legally sound businesses. Okay. Foundation is everything. If you love this podcast and you haven't already left me a review, what are you waiting for? I love to hear how this podcast is impacting your toy experience positively. So please leave me a review. Those notifications come right to my phone as soon as you leave them. And it puts a huge smile on my face knowing that I'm making a difference. As always, thank you so much for joining me here today, toy people. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there, so it means the world to me that you tune into this one. Until next week, I'll see you later, toy people. Thanks for listening to Making It in the Toy Industry podcast with Agile Wade. Head over to thetoycoach.com for more information, tips, and advice. Hey, are you an aspiring toy inventor or toy entrepreneur? Then you should check out Toy Creators Academy, the first of its kind online program designed to help you develop and pitch your toy ideas. Head over to toycreatorsacademy.com to learn more.